Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Rob Breckenridge. On today's episode, we talk more about tech's decision to withdraw their application for the Frontier Oil Sands Mine. Also more on the ongoing situation with protests and blockades across the country connected to opposition to the coastal gasoline pipeline. We hear from Cody Battersill, founder of Canada Action. Also some First Nations perspective as we hear from former chief and current BC MLA Ellis Ross, as well as Ron Quintal, president of the Fort Mackay Métis Nation. So certainly a sense today that, that things are, if not broken in Canada, just not working as they should. That if we've got demand for energy, we've got companies looking to fulfill that demand, to have the supply to meet the demand, why can't we be a country of yes? Why can't we get these projects over the finish line? Why do we have to be a country where delays, cancellations become the norm? Because it feels sitting here today like that's kind of where we are in light of what's happened over the last two weeks and the protests uh, across the country that have stemmed from some opposition, uh, vocal minority, I would say, uh, amongst First Nations and even amongst uh, chiefs uh, within uh, Wet'suwet'en and in northern B.C., but this opposition to coastal gas line. We now see as uh, Tech's proposed frontier oil sands mine became a bit of a lightning rod that the company is uh, deciding to walk. Why now, as we just said, is is unclear. Uh, But the fact is that they are walking away from this project. Uh, So reason to be concerned. Is there still reason for optimism? Canada is, or at least could be, a global energy superpower. Certainly a global energy leader. But do we aspire to that? That that becomes the question. So like I said at the beginning of the show today, it feels like we're at a bit of a crossroads. So where do we go from here? Well, joining us uh, for some thoughts on all of this, uh, very pleased, uh, as always, to welcome to the program, Cody Bannersill, founder of Canada Action, CanadaAction.ca. Cody, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Welcome to the program. Hey, Rob, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, let me get your sense, uh, your own reaction to, to the news from yesterday and kind of where, where we sit here today. I mean, it's a tough day, right? You have uh, another $20 billion of $20 billion of possible investment into Canada that's planned that's been in regulatory review for almost 10 years. The regulator suggested that the project should be approved and was in the public interest. You've got all 14 local Indigenous communities that supported the project, including some announcements even this weekend, reconfirming support from Chief Alan Adams and um, other local uh, Indigenous groups uh, up in that Fort McMurray area. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it just seems like, um, you know, we are innovating on the environment, we are innovating to reduce emissions, we are investing in renewables, we are doing all the right things that green groups say that they care about. We are working with indigenous communities in the energy industry, building houses and doing so much more. And yet you have uh, an environment where people want to oppose this new project, which would have emissions 50% lower, uh, lower than 50% of the oil currently refined in the U.S. with all this indigenous support. It just doesn't add up. And I honestly can't blame the company because, uh, again... 
you know, what kind of message are we sending to the, to the world? It's that Canada's closed for business. You can block rail lines. You can shut down roads. Um, you know, we, we got to keep working on this. It's, it's, there's, there, we do have a serious problem. Yeah, we do. And, and I mean, look, I, I get that there are other issues going on. There's, there's economic issues. Certainly there's, there's a big conversation to be happening around, uh, you know, climate change and environmental policy. But, you know, we, we can still have that conversation. It doesn't have to be a barrier. So how do we, how do we move forward here, Cody? Well, I think when you look at, uh, I, I think tech tried to really do everything right. Um, you know, specifically with the Indigenous communities. I mean, I think, you know, we, we are seeing examples of, of industry uh, reducing emissions, as I said, working with Indigenous communities. It's now really uh, up to Canadians, I think, across the country. We've got to come together as a country. We've got to start asking our politicians at a, at a federal level and at other provincial levels to really stand up and be vocal. Mm-hmm. There is, there has been some good news with Trans Mountain moving forward. There, there is a really good story behind Coastal GasLink and LNG Canada. Again, that's a story of major, almost unanimous Indigenous support, with the exception of five hereditary leaders. And um, even now, we're seeing more and more Indigenous uh, leaders. We're seeing hereditary subchiefs. We're seeing members of the Wet'suwet'en coming out and saying that those hereditary chiefs don't speak for the whole community and there's a lot of other stuff going on there. Um, you know, I think that that's starting to get through. But when we look in the world, you know, let's look at Norway, where the prime minister of Norway is talking about how crazy and horrible it would be for that country to phase out oil because it employs a couple hundred thousand people and contributes so much to their social programs. Norway's forecast increased oil production by almost 40% in the next five years. There's a contrast to the attitude, it seems, in Canada about attracting energy and resource investment. You know, and that's the thing. Look, I mean, there, there's always going to be opposition. We're, we're never going to get to a situation where, you know, there's 100% support for the energy projects or where protesters just call it a day and go home. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we're going to have to deal with. It's something that other countries still have to deal with. Uh, it, it feels as though we've just kind of been paralyzed by by all of this, right? So how do we how do we overcome that? Well, I, we have been paralyzed, and you know now going back eleven years since Keystone XL was first delayed, since the first attack on Canadian infrastructure, and who's benefited? Other oil and gas producers and exporters that don't have to compete with Canada around the world that can attract more investment from the companies that are leaving Canada, that can attract more jobs and economic benefits. We really have to look at the root cause of a lot of this. I mean, there's a member of the Wet'suwet'en named Candace George, and she said on Twitter, we, if Canadians want to help Indigenous people, we should stop allowing U.S. environmental organizations to keep Indigenous peoples below the poverty line. Uh, that's a different angle than we are used to hearing. And what happens when these projects get cancelled? Other suppliers fill the supply gap, and there's nothing left in the wake of these projects for local Indigenous communities and local uh, families and resource workers. So we got to keep speaking up. We got to keep. We got to stay unified. You know, we can't get down. You know, this is a temporary blip. I think we're going to still see some progress on pipelines, and uh, we got to stay united. We got to stay on track with our message. Uh, Canadian energy is good for the world. And global oil and gas demand is growing. We're going to need trillions of dollars of new investment 
in coming decades to prevent oil and gas shortages around the world. It's contrary to what you're going to see from a lot of these environmental groups, you know, especially based in the U.S. today, celebrating tech while they ignore all the oil tankers arriving in North America on a daily basis. But um, again, we I think we do have the facts on our side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you talk about celebrating. I saw there was a tweet from David Suzuki. I mean, there, there's another example uh, where they're celebrating this decision today. But as you say, I mean, really, ultimately, what are they celebrating? Do they really think that by tech pulling the plug on this project, that somehow global demand for oil is going down as a result? I mean, what, what do they think is going to happen here? As you say, somebody else is going to fill that void. I'm not sure what they're celebrating. It is already getting filled. And even with uh, some economic concerns around the world and the coronavirus, you know, it's still forecast that oil demand this year is up at least a million barrels per day. From 2018 until 2023, it's forecast about 7 million barrels of new oil demand around the world. And every year you have to replace current production that depletes, that stops producing, that runs out. So you need 3, 4 million barrels of new production at least every year for decades to come if we want to avoid massive price increases in oil and uh, shortages. And it's not just, you know, let's, let's all get on electric vehicles in 2040 or 2050. Well, the world is still going to be using 70 to 90 million barrels of oil for other uses like petrochemicals and for chemical feedstock and for air travel and heavy-duty uh, industrial uses. Canada should be the supplier of the last barrel the world ever uses because of our leadership on the environment. And when these green groups are talking about Indigenous action and Indigenous rights and climate justice, they are completely ignoring that tech was going to have lower emissions, cutting-edge technology, and LNG Canada will reduce global emissions by an amount equivalent to taking 80% of all the cars in Canada off the road, 15% of our total emissions. We should be building more LNG export facilities. And again, we should be reducing oil imports to Canada and North America from countries with weaker standards just to get started. All right. Much more CanadaAction.ca on Twitter and Facebook as well. Cody, keep fighting the good fight. And thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Thanks, Rob. And thanks for your voice out there. It's, uh, we just got to stay positive and keep going. All right. Take care, Cody. Cody Battersill, founder of Canada Action. Again, CanadaAction.ca. Find them uh, as well on Twitter and Facebook. So obviously, you know, for the past few weeks, I think we've been having these conversations. Maybe could he argue even much longer than that? Uh, around the coastal gasoline pipeline, though, in particular, and some of these protests and blockades that we've been dealing with. And just as we get set to, to deal with that, then we get this uh, curveball yesterday from Tech Resources announcing that they are basically pulling the plug on their Frontier Oil Sands uh, project. Now, the federal government was supposed to make a decision on that project this week, and we were all kind of bracing for that. I think the government's been let off the hook a little bit here. So like I say, I mean, where, where do we go from here now as a country? Because I think a lot of people are feeling frustrated. We've got some issues to sort out when it comes to big energy projects, how to balance environmental concerns, how to balance indigenous concerns, but also a lot of questions about that relationship with First Nations. I, I think, though, to a large extent, though, what's happening with Coastal Gas Link and the consultation, the involvement of First Nations should represent how things ought to be. And I think to a lot of people, too, that the problems we're having with that project, 
uh, just just compounds that frustration. So we got a lot of ground to cover on the program today. Uh, we are going to listen live at 2 o'clock. Premier Jason Kenney is going to be holding a press conference to talk about TAC, to talk about some of these other issues. We'll have that for you. Plenty of time today for your calls. But off the top of you this afternoon, I want to bring into the conversation here someone who's been watching all of this very closely and has a unique perspective as both a prominent B.C. politician and also a prominent First Nations leader, Ellis Ross, is former chief of the uh, Heisler First Nation and is the uh, liberal MLA uh, in B.C. for the riding of Skeena, which uh, includes the uh, the pipeline itself. Ellis Ross, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, as I say, I mean, you've been watching all of this very closely. You've got a unique, a unique perspective uh, as, as you come at all of this. What's your sense of what's been happening with these protests over the last couple of weeks and you know, your own frustrations? You know, there, there's a lot of information that hasn't been disclosed to Canadians about LNG, about forestry, about mining, and about the relationship of Aboriginals here in BC with the Crown. And it's how I characterize it is that, hey, as Aboriginals, we won the fight back in 2004 with the Haida court case to consult and accommodate, and it's been uphill ever since. It's been downhill because we're, we've actually achieved what we always wanted. We're taking the first steps toward the independence. We're actually helping our own members. We're raising our own revenues. We're not, for the progressive bands, we don't want Indian Act money. We don't want any dependency on energy. But now there's a campaign to put us back under the Indian Act. And it's absolutely shameful that these groups that are manipulating First Nations are doing it in this fashion. That Because at the end of the day, two people are going to suffer, Canadians and Aboriginals. Yeah. Nobody's going nobody's to win in this equation. Right. So not only are these blockades not helping, I mean, from your perspective, do you think maybe they're they're setting back the cause of reconciliation? Well, reconciliation is defined by the court cases to say that, look, we, we better find a way to balance Aboriginal rights and title with a greater society. Yeah. Because let's face it, we're not going anywhere. And by the way, when we talk about that greater society in today's context, we're talking about Aboriginals, too, because Aboriginals love to use the hospitals, the roads, the shopping, the clothes, the shoes, the glasses, you name it, we enjoy it. So when we're talking about the larger society, we're also talking about Aboriginals as well. Right, and I think through all of this, and, and you know, Canadians, well-meaning Canadians, really want to understand where First Nations are coming from, and also the question of who speaks for First Nations, because, you know, there are a lot of chiefs, uh, elected chiefs who represent their, their nations that, that are very much in favor of this, as we've been hearing through this whole story. There are some hereditary chiefs who have a different view. I mean, is, is there a, a, one single answer to the question of, well, who speaks for First Nations? Yeah, there is an answer. And you've got to go back to the Rights case law for that answer. You can start with a fundamental principle that says Aboriginal rights and title are held on behalf of the community, meaning the community owns the rights and title. It's not owned by the elected chief and council or the hereditary chiefs. So it only stands to reason that the members of that community should start deciding who represents us in these situations. By the way, this was not an issue um, for all the First Nations for the last 15 years along the pipeline route mm-hmm. until some outside organizations latched on this and started this misinformation across Canada. It, it, it just wasn't an issue for us. So how did we get here? Uh, a lot of uh, ignorance, a lot of misinformation, a lot of sensationalism, uh, and nobody really understanding truly uh, the process it took not only to, to approve LNG projects, but forestry projects, mining projects, and all levels of governments that I've found have a profound misunderstanding of Section 35 of the Constitution and Aboriginal rights and title case law. 
how do you see a path forward? It's going to be tough, but yeah. you know what? You can get rid of uh, uh, these organizations that are hell bent on stopping resource projects in Canada, and you can start piecing together facts and start uh, really understanding what Aboriginal Tal case law is all about. Because the roadmap's there. You know, the, the case law that's been developed over the last 38 years in the courts of Canada, B.C., they gave us direction. And over the years now, the last 15 years, First Nations, industry, and the Crown, meaning the government, have actually developed that roadmap, and that's how you've seen certainty and clarity for the last 15 years in B.C. And now there are certain groups in, in Canada that want to undermine all that. And by the way... If this goes the way it goes, I'm a Canadian too at the end of the day. This is a great country we live in. And the way we're heading, we're going to be the next Venezuela. Well, that's the fear, isn't it? I mean, you know, Coastal Gas Link, this, this project, as I said in the introduction, I mean, th- this feels like how it should be, as you say, that this relationship that's, that's now emerged. We, we finally seem to be getting things right in terms of how to approach these projects. And, and yet still it becomes a, a lightning rod for controversy. Still we, we run into trouble. So if, if we can't do it the right way, then can we do it at all? We did it the right way. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the three parties that sat down and said, okay, let's address Aboriginal and title in a meaningful fashion, including the economic impact. And, and what people don't understand, the Canadians don't understand, the statistics that you read about First Nations in Canada the high unemployment, the high suicide rates, the high prison population, the highest number of children going to care. You can solve this, and you don't have to spend any more tax money on it. You don't have to do it, because First Nations want to be independent. We want to resolve our own issues in our own terms. And for the last 15 years, we've been steadily making progress toward that goal. And now, these protesters, these college students, these professors, these everybody from all walks of life are believing the misinformation, and in turn are basically condemning us to life under the Indian Act. And that's what we've been fighting for for the last 38 years, to get out from that. So it's pretty pretty disappointing. Yeah, well, and we would see today the, these, uh, or at least the blockade, the one blockade in Ontario being cleared out. But, I mean, we, we may see others in the days ahead. I mean, what, what would your message be to those who think that, that those kinds of blockades are a way to accomplish anything? You're setting back reconciliation. You're actually dividing Canadians because uh, the rights and title... Uh, one of the principles is saying, look, we got to consult and accommodate to the nth degree. we got to do above and beyond, which is what's been happening in B.C. But at the same time, that same principle says we've got to balance Aboriginal rights and title with a greater society. And what these blockaders are doing is actually you're dividing society. You're putting non-First Nations against non-First Nations. You're putting First Nations against First Nations. You're putting First Nations against non-First Nations. This actually goes against the principle of reconciliation. Ellis Ross, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate your perspective on all this. Thank you. All the best to you, sir. Uh, Ellis Ross is a liberal MLA of the BC riding of Skeena. He is also a former chief of the Heisla First Nation. So uh, he's seen this from both sides, from, from the First Nation side, also as an elected politician. We were just days away from a federal decision on this project, so certainly some question around you know, why now? What led to this decision? Now, will this project ever be resubmitted? Uh, and where do we go from here? You know, we, we've been talking today as well. I mean, you know, certainly with Coastal Gas Link and, and with, with this project as well, that there have been lessons learned from the past about how to do this the right way. 
both on, I mean, on the environmental side, certainly, but especially when it comes to First Nations, you know, meaningful consultation, uh, partnerships. And this Frontier Project definitely, you know, checked those boxes. And so there, there's a lot of missed opportunity here in, in many ways. Joining us uh, for some reaction uh, to this decision, where we go from here. Very pleased to welcome to the program here today, uh, Ron Quintal. He is president of the Fort Mackay Métis Nation. Mr. Quintal, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, let me uh, just get right to it then. Your reaction, your thoughts on, on this decision. Um, the initial reaction is, was absolute shock. And, uh, and at this point, we're at utter, utter disappointment uh, in terms of uh, where, where we are uh, as a as a country and uh, well as as a community from my my uh, my my people's perspective. Well, let's talk about that. And I mean, you know, the the potential opportunity for this kind of a development, this kind of a partnership. What what was so encouraging about this project? Just the amount of oversight and the amount of work that had been put into it. Um, this is ten years in the making. It's not like we just heard about Frontier, you know, uh, before the uh, the approvals came through. We've been working with with tech on this project. Uh, for the better part of 10 years. Uh, we negotiate, we've actually finalized a negotiation um, just shy of three years ago with, with, with tech. So, I mean, from our perspective, we had done so much work around this project that, you know, we, we as, a, as a community and uh, we as a region um, <clears throat> had, had done the, uh, the investment needed to be able to have this project go ahead. And from our perspective, for the rug to be pulled out from under us due to the, the polarization of, uh, of the energy sector uh, and the indigenous people of this country, I think ultimately is a, an absolute disappointment. And I think it's a, a, step, in the, a step backward um, for our country. Well, yeah, that's what it feels like because, you know, as you say, they're, they're, this, this company went about things the right way. And, you know, the, the idea of working with First Nations, partnering First Nations, Right. This is what, for a long time, people said this is how it needs to be. And now that we seem to have reached that point and we still can't move forward, where does that leave us? And that's, I think that's the bigger question that we're trying to evaluate at this point is if, if you have a, uh, a Canadian-based company like Tech who checks all the boxes, who does the, the work, who does uh, the, the, you know, the social license, who's, who's looking at uh, climate change and who's, who's using climate change to dictate their, their, their growth, I think, you know, if, if they can't get approved, who can? And I think that's the, the scariest question from our perspective uh, here is we, we've crippled Canada. I mean, this is a national crisis. And from my perspective, I think what needs to ultimately happen here is a call that I've been making uh, throughout the day and throughout yesterday evening is uh, a meeting with the Premier and the Prime Minister and the Indigenous groups uh, of this territory for the purposes of trying to find a better path forward and uh, a better way to be able to ensure that investment is, is going to happen in this region because from our perspective i mean we've been we're being kicked while we're down i mean we've hit we've had so many ups and downs with the recessions the 2016 wildfire and then this uh, i think you know it, it it's it's just adding insult to injury as, as far as i'm concerned and from my, my perspective i just believe it and, and i feel that uh from the perspective of an indigenous person and as an albertan that we're not getting a fair shake you know, and, and, you know, we were kind of bracing potentially for a no from Ottawa. And I, I know you had spoken last week about possible recourse, maybe, uh, you know, taking the federal government to court if they were going to stand in the way of this. I, I mean, unfortunately, we didn't get an answer from Ottawa. And, you know, it leaves us kind of in limbo here. I mean, I guess, do, is there any recourse at this point? Well, we've looked at... Uh 
we've looked at the potential of, of uh, you know, challenging this legally, but the fact is, is there's, no, there's, there's no case, there's nothing to challenge in court. Yeah. Uh, the techs pulled their application, so from a legal perspective, that's ultimately off the table. However, from a politi- po- political perspective, I think that, you know, we have this, this, this option to, to try to find a better path forward, a better way to do things, and I think it's going to take um, the federal and provincial governments to get there, and uh, the fact is, I know they're poor opposites in terms of uh, their opinions, but at the end of the day, we need to stop playing politics with our economy. We need to stop playing politics with our energy industry. The fact of the matter is, is the, the energy industry in itself has evolved uh, uh, greatly. It's, it's night and day as compared to when I was first uh, elected 15 years ago. When I look at it, what it is now, and look how far we've come, and the fact that it's evolved to a to a point of where indigenous ownership is a real option where indigenous communities are owners in, in, in mega projects and our people are working uh, as engineers and our people are working as project managers and and you know for me i look at this as another disappointment because it's just another opportunity that's going to be missed for our community i mean and like i said circling back to will the project ever go ahead from my perspective i think that that's the question that everybody's asking today and from my perspective that's something that i've been fielding uh, by way of questions from my members is that they're concerned you know my leadership group is concerned my executive team is concerned i mean this is uh absolutely a step in the wrong direction as far as uh you know, as far as where we need to be as a country and from my perspective i think it's ultimately a black eye for canada yeah i think you're right unfortunately and i think certainly our political leadership has a lot to answer for, uh, answer for do you think though that the company needs to add some clarity to all of this maybe around the, their why they made this decision and, and the point you made about whether this might come back at some point i mean would you like to hear more from tech at this point well we we, we will i i had a, a, a phone call ahead of the press release yesterday as a courtesy uh from tech and tech senior vice president to let me know that essentially they'd be they'd be uh, uh putting this on the shelf and uh, I asked a lot of those same questions, and what was reiterated to me was the fact that uh, given the, the current political climate, uh, given the current uh, civil unrest in terms of the protest, tech didn't want to be a lightning rod. And, I mean, reading between the lines, you can look at this and, and think that I, I just believe that from an economic perspective, it played a major role in this as well in, in terms of this decision. And a price of oil is down $2 this morning. So, I mean, in fact, the matter is, is that's, uh, that that's ultimately what drew Drives the the economy of this of this area. So I think there was a combination of things, and like I said, I've been calling it the perfect storm, uh, if you would, in terms of why tech decided to get gun shy. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll learn more in the coming days, and uh, hopefully we can we can start moving things in a positive direction after with this uh, frustrating news today. Ron, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. You as well. Uh, that is uh, Ron Quintal. He is uh, president of the Fort Mackay Métis Nation, one of the uh, 14 First Nations that had signed benefits agreements with uh, tech resources around the Frontier Mine project. So there was a lot of hope in terms of the economic benefits to these communities that this project could deliver. That's uh, now all kind of evaporated. Now, look, you know, as, as we pointed out, I mean, it's possible that even with approval, this project might have been stalled, but it just added to the list of other projects that have been approved yet are not moving forward, right? So tech was facing some, some tough economic decisions about the viability of this project and, and what things look like, not just this year, next year, but, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years out. But I think we got a political climate here that is, is clearly problematic. How do we fix that? Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. 
You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.